important to them. Because the government obviously helps support Hope Worldwide by giving us access to grants. So they kind of try to do a matching system with what donations the government tries to match that and help us out. And that's why Hope Worldwide has excelled in the international community. So thank you so much for your donations. Good morning. If you're visiting with us, my name is Gio. Uh, I'm the, uh, the minister here in the Shoreline Church. We're, you're excited. We just ended a series called Transforming Grace. We're going to enter a new series about gratitude, because it's November, and if you haven't thought about being grateful, you should, you know, just to give you a confessional, you know, soccer Saturday was yesterday, you know, every, it seems like every, every fall I have to confess, I did much better this week than a few weeks ago, um, but I was tempted to yell and scream and being very negative, in fact, I was, I was quietly negative this time, I didn't, I wasn't like loud negative, I was now, I went into the mode of quietly negative, you could have done this better, you could have done that better, you could have, and, and my son says to me in the car at home, wow, can you be a little more positive? I'm like, oh! And you know, at the, in the moment you think you're trying to be constructive, you're trying to help, you're trying to, you know, give him the knowledge of soccer so he can excel and have true fun, as you know, our parents mind. If you, if you do it right, you really have fun, and in their world, they're already having fun. Why do I have to ruin it? Because I'm not grateful that they're having fun, I want them to have my kind of fun. So, this series is not just for you, it's for me. Okay? There are, you know, I, and I, I was talking to the Quince in our, in, our, in our time together. We meet for lunch, and I was just telling him, I was confessing, this is what happens to me on Saturday. And, and, and Ron goes, man, you got a soccer demon in you. And I'm like, yes, he's there. I mean, during the rest of the week, I'm totally a super dad, very encouraging, positive, family devos. It's exciting to be a part of my household. But on Saturday morning, I can tell the kids are like, uh-oh. Uh-oh, here it comes. If we lose, if we don't play well, then dad's going to... You know, it's funny because I grew up with the same type of father. In fact, I, I, I didn't want him to come to my games because he was so negative. He, was, he wasn't just negative toward me. He loved me. He's like, your friends can't play soccer. And he would just tell their parents that. They don't know how to play. I'm like, dad, you shouldn't come anymore. This is not Ecuador. It's America. We don't do that here. You know, imagine yourself being surrounded by spiritual forces that are trying to influence your life. Imagine what your life would be like. Imagine that you're, you're in the city of Newbury Park, and yet outside the city, there are forces ready to take over. And there's sympathizers on the inside, there's, there's the enemy on the outside, and this is the situation of, of this church, this small little church in this town called Colossae. And you may have not heard the Colossae church before, but in your Bible it's called the, the letter to the Colossians. And it's an important letter. And the reason why I, I, I'm telling you this is because there's, there's an element of gratitude that we have to guard our hearts with gratitude. Otherwise, we um, fall into some very dark places. And so this study today in our, in our Sunday lesson is going to be a little historical. and I'm going to give you a lot of background in this church. It reminds me of our church here in Shoreline. If I could uh, have your attention just for a few moments. So... Uh, it, Guarding our hearts with gratitude. We're surrounded always by spiritual forces that are trying to really work at us and really tempt us in negative ways. And so, in Psalm 100, just to kind of give our understanding of this gratitude concept, it says, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name, for the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness, it continues through all generations. You know, having a thankful grateful, 
attitude really changes how you look at your environment. It really does. It really does. So I want to encourage us to guard yourself. You know, there's a shield of faith. There's a sword of the Spirit. But I want you to guard your heart, for it is a wellspring of life, the Bible tells us. Guard it with gratitude. It changes everything. You know, sometimes you get the same, you know, our kids are like, we're having, you know, spinach ravioli again? Yeah, it's from Costco, buddy. That's what we're going to eat. And our kids are going to get their all, we're gonna, I hate this, but we're going to eat it. Be grateful that you have food. You're trying to tell your kids, be grateful. And we have to guard ourselves with gratitude, especially in this time. So there's this little, little city called Colossae. It's not very big. It's in this area in the Bible. When you hear in the Word of God, there's this area called the province of Asia. This is where Colossae is. I'm going to show you a little map. This is the province of Asia. And there's a little town, or a medium-sized town in Colossae. There's actually a small little town right by it. And this is modern-day Turkey. If you were to look at this map, this is Egypt. This would be Turkey, this whole area. But back in the Bible's time, they called it the province of Asia. And there is the city of Colossae. And there's Ephesus. This was a major uh, point of Paul's ministry. Paul spent three years there in Ephesus starting a ministry. And we're going to see the product of that. So, how did the Colossae church begin? Well, Colossae is not mentioned in the book of Acts. So if you look, if you look through the book of Acts, you won't find it in there. But it's in the Bible. Paul didn't start the church there. Paul never visited this church, but yet he writes a letter to them. Paul only hears of the church in Colossae. It's a small town that received a letter from the great Apostle Paul. Can you imagine that? Imagine that? Getting a letter from Paul, even though he's never seen you. He's never visited your church. He's never planted your church. But yet he's, he's so concerned about your ministry, he writes a letter to the church there. Which is pretty cool. In Acts 19, Acts 19, we see how this ministry began. Paul, he took his disciples with them and had discussions daily in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. Um, when this went on for two years, so that all the Jews and Greeks who live in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. You know, Paul was in Ephesus and he was there, there to preach the word. He was actually in the hall of Tyrannus there. You know, I don't know if it was a campus ministry Bible talk or not, but he was lecturing, he was having Bible discussions, he was talking, and over the years, people became disciples. And in particular, this area of Ephesus, people came in the city and they heard Paul. The Bible says that the, the whole area heard. Well, how did the whole area heard? Well, they usually came to the city of Ephesus and they ran into Paul's preaching and then went back home to start churches. And so here's, what, here's how, how, how Colossae was planted according to the timeline that I've created. It could be a little off, but here's my best guess. During Paul's ministry in Ephesus, two men became disciples. Their names were Epaphras and Philemon. And they we became Christians while Paul was in Ephesus. And so they went back to their home in Colossae and started the church. We know this because in Colossians 1, Paul says, he writes this letter to the church, you, heard, you learned it, the gospel, from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. Now let's pause for a moment. 
There wasn't a minister who, who was in Ephesus and they sent a mission team down there. There was just a disciple or two that said, hey, you know, we're going to follow Jesus. We're going to go to our hometown and we're going to preach the word. We're going to share the good news. We're going to open the Old Testament. We're going to prove that Jesus is the Messiah. And that's what they did. There wasn't necessarily a minister there. That's how it started with just a disciple. Think about where you live for a minute. Do you need a minister to come and confirm the good news and go with you? Or can you be like these men who on their own says, you know what, I know the gospel, I heard, it's pretty clear to me. Let me go to my hometown of Oxnard. Let me go to my hometown of Moore Park or Newbury Park or Camarillo. Let me tell my little neighborhood. That's how the church in Colossae started. Paul never planted it. Paul didn't send Timothy. He converted two guys there, Philemon, who we, who we know later had a slave who ran away, Onesimus, and became a disciple. And so Paul sends him back to Philemon. Well, where did he send him back to? To Colossae. You know, Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you, that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. I vouch for him that he's working hard for you and for those that lay the Sia in Eropolis. Now, where are these two cities? Well, if we zoom in the map of, of Colossae, we will see two smaller towns. And there they are. Here's Colossae and there's Laodicea. It's a very famous city because it's one of the seven churches written to in the book of Revelations. Another small town. We'll just say this is Oxnard, and that's Camarillo, and that's Newbury Park. And here is Los Angeles, the great Ephesus. There's Los Angeles. We don't like going to church down there because it's too far. It's Long Beach services. Oh, so uh, there's the grade right there, the emotional grade that says, I can't go over this grade. I can't do it. And so, but believe me, people from Ephesus went back home. And, and shared about Jesus. And so these churches started by just disciples. Just men and women who said, you know what? People have to know. Let me ask you a question. Are you a disciple? And do people have to know? Because that's what these guys did. People have to know. They started with their relatives, their cousins, their mom, their dads, their neighbors, their friends. And so the church begins in Colossae. Yet Paul never went there. Paul never visited. Paul didn't send these people. These guys rose up, local men who rose up to minister to the church. They went from Colossae to Laodicea, to Heropolis, and there was church plantings by disciples. Just members. You want to call them Joe Christian? They were Joe Christians. That's how it started. It's pretty cool. So here's the timeline. I think what happened. Epaphras shows up in Rome, and he's looking for Paul's help. And the reason uh, they're looking for Paul's help is that there's a, there's a threat to the church that's happening that he doesn't know how to handle. Like, I don't know what to do. There's this threat. i got to go to Rome. So think about this. You know, he travels <laughs> from here to Rome. Think about the distance. The distance traveled. It's not even on the map. He has to go to Rome and look for Paul. So he finds Paul. And Paul writes the letter to the church. It wasn't like you can Skype them, you can go on FaceTime. You know, back then, you had to, if you had to find someone, Paul had to find Barnabas one time, he had to go all the way and look for Barnabas. When you had to find someone, it was very difficult. It took commitment. So the threat was so um, threatening of danger 
that he has to leave his church to go look for Paul to get some help. And so Onesimus and Tychicus, or Tychicus carry the letter to Colossae, and uh, we know this threat is, is, is called Gnosticism. And you're like, what in the world is Gnosticism? And what does that have to do with me in the 21st century? Well, it actually has a lot to do with you in the 21st century, because some of these same teachings actually occur today, which is, all, which is a threat to them, and it's a threat to us if we're not careful. So here's Gnosticism. In Colossae, it was a combination of Eastern philosophy, because Ephesus brought a lot of people in, and it was also a combination of Jewish legalism. The word gnosis, it means to know. An example is an agnostic who does not know, right? I don't know if there's a God, I'm agnostic. I'm not in the know, but since I'm agnostic, I know something. I know something very special. I know something very secret. I know something so mature and spiritual that you're going to need to know. That's kind of the know. So it began with the philosophical question. And it's a question that we ask ourselves to this day. Why is there evil in this world? What does bad things happen to good people? It's a question that people ask us sometimes. If creation was made by a holy God, how can a holy God who made, who is pure, who is not evil, how can, there, how can evil exist in our world? So it started with that philosophical question. And their conclusion was this. It all, all matter, all, you know, atoms, you know, buildings, flesh, didn't matter, was considered evil. And because it's evil, God could not come in contact with evil matter. He can't have a relationship. He's far away. He's, he keeps his distance from you. But you need to know how to free yourself. And there's a few special rules. If you follow, God will be close to you. That was Gnosticism. I'm in the know of how to have a relationship with God that's different. Because God is truly can't be around evil. That was the Gnostic teaching that infiltrated the church. And it had a little bit of Jewish legalism. For example, they held to a form of astrology. You know, we know that, you know, we, we have that today. Believing that angelic beings ruled heavenly bodies and they influenced Affairs on the earth. And then these are two scriptures you can write down that Paul confronts. Their thinking was that there's, there's these angelic forces, you know, controlling us, controlling the world. That was the view. And so you had to know how to get around them and get to God. Jewish legalism. They, the teachers believed that the rite of circumcision was helpful in spiritual development. So, you know, if you're not Jew, you have to become a Jewish circumcision so you can be closer to God to attain the knowledge. And they taught that the Old Testament law, especially dietary laws, were useful in attaining spiritual perfection. Now, there was, there were certain things in the Old Testament where you were not allowed to eat for health reasons. And so they're saying, you know, if you have a special diet, you become more spiritual. You know, if you go to the gym and work out and, and make yourself look super awesome on the outside... Man, that's a sign of spirituality. Thank God, I don't, I don't really hold to that teaching. It's obvious. I don't hold to that teaching. Maybe I should a little bit, because Timothy said, Paul says, Timothy, physical is, uh, exercise is of some value, but godliness is value for all things. Okay? So, and then there was rules and regulations that told them what was evil and what was good. There was a special knowledge that that you had to know to really have this relationship with God. You know, people sometimes people make it so difficult to know God. They have they make you study the Bible for a year just to kind of do you now you're now ready 
to become a follower. You know, in the Bible, it's very simple to become a Christian. It's very easy to become a Christian. But sometimes you make it so hard for someone to become a Christian. They've got to follow all these guidelines. So since matter was evil, two kinds of practices occurred to try to control the human nature to, to attain this perfection. One was to be rigid. One was to, was to punish your flesh for being sinful. You know, some people are radical and they go to castration. I, I'm an impure sexual person. I castrate myself to attain a spiritual perfection. They're, they're, they abuse their bodies. Because it's evil and they can't control their nature, the sinfulness of it, so they have this rigid form of discipline, the aestheticism. I'm going to isolate myself. I'm going to go to a monastery. I'm going to be alone. I can't have contact. If I don't talk to people, then I'll be more enlightened. And that happened in the 3rd and 4th centuries where people became monks and went into monasteries. It happened in history. So in Colossians 2 verse 23, it says, Such regulations indeed have the appearance of wisdom while he's still spiritual. He doesn't have any cable. He has no TV. He doesn't listen to the radio. He's still spiritual. He cut off all communication with the world. He doesn't have email. He has no internet. He's still spiritual. It has the appearance of wisdom. Right. Right. See how it rings a bell? With their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body. But they lack any value in restraining sensual desire. You know, you can cut off your TV, your internet. You can, cut, you can go live in that hill up there that Clay talked about. <laughs> and you will still struggle with sensual desire. It is there. It is part of our nature. And so they were trying to rescue people. Hey, bro, I know how to overcome it. And so they gave them these secret little rules they had to follow. Now, the other part of that was... Uh, and not in Colossae particularly, but in other parts of the, of, the, of the world, the same teaching that Peter has to confront. They're like, hey, since matter's evil, and everything is wrong, might as well live it up. <laughs> might as well just do it. Be as immoral as you want. Drink as much as you want. As long as you know that God is there, that He exists, it doesn't matter how you live your life. That was the other side. And so Peter writes about these guys. It says, these people are springs without water, mist driven by a storm. Blackest darkness is reserved for them, for they mouth empty, boastful words, and by appealing to the lustful de- desires of the sinful human. In other words, hey man, you're going to sin anyway. You're going to sin every day. Might as well sin. That's why Paul says, hey, we, you know, we say no to grace. We don't, we don't sin more for grace may, may increase. We say no, right? They entice people who are just escaping from those who live in the air, and they promise them freedom while they themselves are slaves to depravity. For people are slaves to whatever has mastered them. What is something in your life that you have no control over? Everyone's got something that you just have. You try so hard. I mean, you try hard, and you just can't overcome it. It's like, it's there. Me, it's soccer Saturdays. I mean, this fall, I, I try, I, I wake up, I pray, I cry out to God, give me a good heart today, Lord. And it just comes in, I'm, and I'm, either I'm, I'm loud negative, or this time I was quietly negative. And this is there, and I'm going, and, and, and this morning I was like, what is wrong with me? So Jaden came down the stairs, I said, Jaden, I was pretty negative yesterday, honey, he's like, 
He looks down. He's like, "Yeah, you're negative." So I'm sorry for being negative. I'm so sorry. So it's okay, Dad. Let's just try to work on being positive. It's there. I'm trying to get rid of it. You know. So what should I do? I'm gonna sit anyway. Might as well just go to the liquor store. Drink my worries away. Might as well just live how I want. I'm going to blow it anyway. Might as well just scream at him. I'm going to mess up anyway. Jaden, you're terrible. Team's terrible. Your coach is terrible. Everything's terrible. That's what I felt. Should I keep on doing that? No. But that is what they're trying to teach the church. Two, two, wave, two wavelengths. One is be restrictive. Other was just be permissible. And that was going on around in the churches. So these were deadly teachings. And so, it appears that Colossae was the more legalistic one, the self, uh, you know, depreciating, uh, um, uh, self-mutilation type. But here's the truth. Jesus' death on the cross gives us life with God. He's not too far away. He's not this distant God. He is down to earth. He came to us in human form to show us the way. And so Gnosticism was, was born out of a man-made philosophy. And this is why Paul writes this letter to them, and he writes it to us. Because we can make man-made philosophies that rule our lives. Things that are not in the Scripture. That Because it philosophically can make sense and it's logical, doesn't mean it's from God. So, in Colossians 1 verse 20, through Jesus... He reconciled all things to Himself. He's addressing the matter is not evil. Jesus reconciled the earth, the evil, to Himself. Whether things on earth or things in heaven, those in astrology. By making peace through His blood shed on the cross. And in and, and verse 15. And having disarmed the powers of celestial beings and the authorities, He made a public spectacle of them triumphing over them by the cross. The cross was a stumbling block to so many people. How could God connect with us over someone dying on a cross? That was a stumbling block to the Corinthians and to many people. That access to God is so available. It's so there. But sometimes we make things so complicated that we miss God. And so Jesus settles the question of sin by dying on the cross. He forgives it. He says, you're going to have a sinful nature, but when God sees you, He's actually going to see me because you follow me. Despite your nature that you're trying to get rid of, and, you, and, and we, try, we make a good effort, and we should try, we should make a good effort to change. That's, that's a very noble thing, but that effort doesn't save you. It's Jesus on the cross that saved you. But we try our best to grow. Like I have a, I have a, you know, I have an off week. Thank goodness. Next Saturday I'm not going to play Angel Soccer. I'm going to be at the conference. So I have a week to recover emotionally. So I'm, I'm having a break. It's good for me to get away, have some Nerf gun competition for the kids. So Jesus completely defeats all satanic forces. Nothing is left but Jesus. He defeats them all. He puts an end to the legal demands of the Old Testament. There is no dietary laws. You can be a vegan, you can be a meat eater, you can eat whatever you want. You can eat pork, you can eat shrimp, you can eat whatever. He puts an end. Matter is not evil because Jesus himself came in the flesh. 
So it, cannot, it can't possibly be evil. And so they said, you know, the Nazis would say, well, Jesus resurrected. He came in a spiritual form. He's like a, it's a spirit force. And he came down and he just used this guy named, you know, from Nazareth's body. No, he didn't. They tried many ways to get around that. But Jesus actually came down in the flesh and he was God himself. So they had to make up something that he wasn't God. He didn't resurrect. They had all kinds of different stipulations to believe that God was not there. So false teaching, it's important because it's deceptive, especially when it's in a combination of things. In this sense, in Colossae, it had Jewish legalism, it had Oriental philosophy, it had pagan astrology, it had a little mysticism, aestheticism, and even a touch of Christianity. And what goes on today is that as long as you believe in God, you're not accountable for how you live your life. That is a modern day teaching of Gnosticism today. As long as I believe in God, I can be immoral, I can do what I want, because I believe. And that is a powerful, powerful attraction for people. And they, they fill up church buildings by the thousands. And they reconfirm that as long as you believe in Jesus, it doesn't really matter how you live your life. That's the modern day teaching. And it's deceptive because it sounds spiritual. Like, I believe in God. I'm trying to work on it, but basically I'm living my own life. And that's the deception. There was something for everybody, and this is what made it so dangerous. You know, this heresy was in direct contrast with the teachings of Christianity. It took a negative view of life, saying, hey, God is far away. Matter is evil. Demonic forces are always threatening us. Versus the Christian faith. It says, no, God is near us. God made all things good. And that Christ... Now, now people can use it for evil things, of course. And that Christ has delivered His people from the powers of darkness. You don't got to worry and be all paranoid of uh, satanic forces. Hey, when you follow Jesus, you're good. You're solid. But the question is, you can't go with one extreme or the other. You got to be careful. So you got to guard yourself with gratitude. Now, this I said all that to share this passage with you. That was a whole bunch of stuff and background to share this passionate plea of Paul as he writes to the church he's never met, he's never seen, he's never visited, and he writes this letter. I'm going to take it in chapter two. He says, "I want you to know." How much I've agonized for you. But you don't even know me. Yeah, he's sharing. I want you to know I've agonized for you. And for the church in Laodicea. And for many other disciples or believers who have never met me personally. I want them to be encouraged and knit together by strong ties of love. You know, when Paul was writing this letter to Colossae, he was actually imprisoned in Rome. And he's saying, I'm agonizing with you. I'm thinking about you. I'm concerned for you. I'm praying for you. And I want you to be encouraged. And I want our our hearts to be knit together with ties of love. If you know how I feel about you, it brings a closeness. You know, whenever you get open about your life, it brings you closer to people. That's how people fall in love. Remember your old boyfriend, your old girlfriends? Because you told them something about you, and they go, I'm in love. I'm in love. Or the guys say, I love her. I love her so much. You know, it's because we told them something, and they told us something, and now we're in love. But if you didn't tell anything, if you didn't tell her anything or tell him anything, you wouldn't be in love. 
You just be Facebook friends, right? He would just be in the friend zone. In the friend zone. But when you share things together that are meaningful, you fall in love. You get closer. Whenever someone tells you about their life, they've not told anybody else, Jackie, thanks for trusting me. Thanks for sharing that with me. You feel encouraged. So I want you to be encouraged and together. I want them to have a complete confidence. Mm. That was gross. To have complete confidence that they understand God's mysterious plan, which is Christ Himself. In Him lie all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. You see how Paul wrote this letter? He don't need Gnosticism. It's all in Christ. If you want to know all that fancy, deep stuff of God, you'll find it in Christ. You're not going to find it by mutilating your flesh. You're not going to find it by living a reckless life. You're going to find it by thinking about your relationship with Jesus. And he writes, I'm telling you this so that no one will deceive you. Because he's addressing the Gnostic teaching. No one will deceive you with well-crafted arguments. You know, here's a modern-day well-crafted argument. Once you believe, once you're saved, you're always saved. You don't ever have to worry about not being saved ever again. So you tell a guy like me that, I'm like, oh, I'm logical. I'm saved. I'm always going to be saved. Well, I'm going to go back to my old life because it was pretty fun. <laughs> and then they would say, no, well, you never became a Christian. But you already said I was saved, right? I was saved. I became a Christian. I'm saved. And you say, I can never be unsaved. So why can't I go live my own life? It doesn't hold water. But yet it's there. And it's a powerful teaching to tell someone you, know, you can be saved as a Christian and never have to ever worry about not making it to heaven. That would be a false teaching because the Bible warns us if we go back to our old life, it's like putting Jesus under our feet and trampling Him. It's very clear about that. But they avoid that one, right? It's a modern day. Here's another one. Like I said before, if you just believe in Jesus, it doesn't matter how you live your life. It doesn't matter. You can live your life as reckless as you want it, as long as you know He loves you, and you have faith in Him, you're okay. He says, I want you to know, so no one will deceive you with well-crafted arguments. For though I am far away from you, my heart is with you. I love that verse. And I rejoice that you are living as you should. Notice though, he, He stresses that, living as you should, as followers, as disciples, sharing the good news. You know, one of the teachings about Christianity that's false is that once you become a Christian, just keep it to yourself. You just come to church and you worry about your Christianity by yourself. You alone just worry about your, yourself. Come to church on Sundays and don't tell anybody else. Just you make sure you come on Sunday. And as we see in this passage and the Colossae church, that's not how the gospel spreads. The gospel spreads by disciples like you leaving this area, going to your hometowns, and sharing the good news. That's how churches are started. And I rejoice that you are living as you should, and your faith in Christ is strong. So then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in Him, rooted and built up in Him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing 
with thanksgiving. You know, I was at a Bible talk on campus a few weeks ago, and I had a pitcher of water, and I had two cups. And I asked, was one guy named Michael to hold this cup, and I was pouring water into it, and I said, just tell me when. He goes, when? But I just kept pouring it, and he goes, whoa, it's overflowing! I said, okay. And then I gave, I gave to one another cup, and I only put a little bit of water in it. I said, which describes overflowing more? Michael's cup or Dewan's cup? Overflowing with gratitude. It's obvious. So it's like, whoa, 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 you are super grateful. Versus, wow, you're really negative. The cups make all the difference. Is your cup overflowing? Write a list today if you want of things you're grateful for. Are you mad at your husband this morning? Write a list of like, hey, these are the things I am grateful for because if I focus on what he did this morning, I'm going to be a cup that's half full and I'm going to be ungrateful. Write a list of someone you're mad at and try to write things I'm grateful for. You know, last week, Karen had me, gave me a card. Here, I said, what's this? It's a card for your daughter. And you're going to write positive things about her today. And I was like, thank you! I married the right woman! You know, the, 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 the un- unhumble response would have been like, please, I'm already humble. I can just tell her myself. And I was like, wow, thank you. So I took the card to my office and I wrote six things that she did positive today. And I, I closed the card, I signed it, sealed it up, and went to my daughter's room. Or I called my daughter downstairs, gave her the card, and I had her read it right there when I was with her. And she was so encouraged. And it totally changed our day. So write a card. If you're mad at your wife, write her a card. If you're upset about something, write a card. You know, the secret to happiness is expressing your gratitude. They did a test. Actually, they did a study on this. You can look it up on the internet. It was called the experiment of happiness. And what the, what the psychologist discovered that your expression of gratitude to another person is what makes you happy. And so it's on YouTube. So I watched this whole episode of people calling someone they're grateful for, they haven't talked to in years, and on the phone live would tell them how grateful they were, and both of them were crying. I love you! It was amazing! <laughs> Because the secret to happiness is being grateful. That's why you got to guard yourself with gratitude that's overflowing. See to it that no one takes you captive. No one grabs you through hollow and deceptive philosophy. You know, it's got to pass the common sense test for me. It's got to pass it. Which depend on human tradition and the elemental forces or spiritual forces of this world rather than than on Christ. You know, people look at horoscopes all the time because they want to know the future. In reality, God isn't like that because it takes your trust away. There's no longer trust in the relationship. So guard yourself. Now, this concept of time, think about how much time you have left on this earth. Your time may be up tomorrow. Your time may be up 20 years from now. Think about time and the time in, cons- in, in, in connection with being grateful. I'm going to show you a video. Let me know when you're ready. Here we go. I'm going to go to the market. I'm going to go to the market. I'm going to go to the market.
Those Asians, man, they can make videos. Even them with life insurance. That video encapsulates for me the time that we have now. The time to be grateful now. The time to know now. The time to change is now. Not later. Because a lot of times we say, well, I'll become a Christian later. I'll, I'll follow Godly. I'll be more committed later versus the now. So I want to leave you with a challenge. To fill your cup and overflow it with gratitude. And the expression that Paul expresses to the Colossae church is overflowing, yet he's never met them. Doesn't really, has never shook hands or hugged them, but yet he is grateful for them. And I want to encourage you to be grateful with your family, with your friends, and to share the gospel of Jesus with others. Thank you for your time.